we're back, guys. Podcast number 20, and we have a special surprise, special guy, the man, the myth, the legend. He can leap small buildings, and he can detail a battleship by himself, but he's going to be doing it with one arm. One arm. The Jason Rose, the main man from McGuire's. Well, that's um, me. I thought you. Were, I thought you were going to have another guest on the line. Wait. <laughs> that's that's all you. I, you know, that's all you. Once I said the one-armed bandit here, you, you knew I was talking about you. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, what's going on. I know my knee has exploded, and uh, I'm not sure if everybody out there in podcast land knows that uh, you've been throwing elbows or something into trees, or I don't know what you're doing, and, and blew your elbow out. So what happened? Well, I was, you know, when you grenaded your knee, I was inspired, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went out and, uh, you know, screwed up my elbow. I basically, you know, just ripped a tendon off the bone, and the, the lower bicep tendon just clean ripped it off the bone, uh, dirt bike thing. Uh, but I had surgery. They you know, put things back together. It's amazing what, you know, medical technology is nowadays. Yeah, you know, and I've been talking to a lot of people, you know, out at shows or whatever, and, you know, people know about my knee, and they, you know, they, they say, how did you do it? What car were you on? Were you under? Did a car fall on you? And I was like, yeah. well, no, I was rock climbing. And they're like, rock oh, well, climbing. I don't understand. <laughs> you're, you're not, I was like, well, yeah, I have a life, I have too. a life outside of cars, yeah. <laughs> outside of cars, so I guess the... Jason did it uh, riding his motorcycle, which was far cooler than than what I did. But nonetheless, we do have lives outside of outside of uh, being underneath cars. So, how is where where are you in the? Well, you know, the, you know surgery repaired everything, uh, you know, just fine, and uh, the pain went away. So I'm you know glad to report I'm not in pain every day, and uh, I do have restricted movement. I can't straighten my arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't rotate my wrist, uh, but doctors are telling me to to not even uh, stress the arm, don't use it. Uh, so I've I've got like four more weeks in a sling, and then after that I'm good to go. Okay, and then physical therapy. Yeah, yeah, that's the same sort of thing. Mine was six weeks, a solid six weeks, and then physical therapy for three to four. Now I'm done with physical therapy and. I'm happy to say that today my wife and I went for a two-hour hike. It, it was a it was a plan of a half an hour, and then we sort of, you know, when you, you swim halfway across the ocean kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so we had a loop all the way back, and it was good. My my legs are hurting, I think, from from atrophy, the actual technical word of that, you know, atrophy. Yeah, right. I'm not doing a whole lot. Right. Um, but I think it was I think it was good. So how did, in terms of detailing, I'm imagining few and far between. Oh, no, I, I, I'm not at all. I don't, um, you know, doctor's strict orders don't even put a polisher in your hands, even the, even on the good arm. So I'm, I'm not polishing at all. In fact, uh, out, out of all the pain associated with this injury, probably the most pain I've experienced is I, I did a three-day training class where I could not do any polishing. I had to watch everybody else do everything, and that was painful. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that's it's tough to take a, a tool out of our hands. Luckily with mine, I could polish all I want, but the problem is I couldn't stand next to the car. <laughs> I couldn't stand up, so it's kind of a problem. To, you know, if we pieced you and I together, we could make one hell of a detail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's that noise I hear in the background? Apparently, you're you're running the AC, and it's like eight thousand degrees out there on the on the sandy beach. Oh, yeah. Where you live? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm going to get lots of sympathy right now, but I'm in Southern California, and uh, we have some sort of a heat wave going on here. So, yeah, I've got air conditioning and fans going. Sorry about that. 
No, no worries. It's a zero-sum game over here on the other side of the country. It's uh, 50 degrees. It was the coldest day of the coldest day in 138 days or something like that. The news lady said this morning. So we're starting to wind down, which makes me a little sad because I am a summer person. Uh, well, I'm glad you had a chance to get out and do a hike. That was good news. No, it was good to kind of get the blood flowing in. But luckily, I've been detailing. I think uh, some of the people listening are. Uh, you know, Instagram followers and Twitter followers of mine, and I've had a pretty cool opportunity. I have a video um, I shot, but it may not come out for a while. I probably have 10 or 12 videos in the shoot, um, you know, in, in the hole there to come out. And one, I did a uh, 9.30, a 9.30, no, was it 9.30? No, it was a 9.11, 1985-9.11 Guards Red uh, single-stage paint. And what happened was the rear uh, passenger side quarter clearly had been repainted by you know, Joe Bacicalu in Long Island or wherever um, years ago. And it start, it was fading at a faster rate than the original 85 paint. Oh, yeah. So you could, you, I mean, it was night and day. So the whole car looked like, you know, it wasn't good. But the panel itself, the one that I'm talking about, was degrading way, way faster. So um, on the video I show, hey, you, I used the... Uh, McGuire's microfiber cutting pad. I used, you know, compound the whole nine yards, and I polished out the, the car. Easy breezy. When I went to the single stage paint, I did the same process. I said, let's try this. This is a pretty non-aggressive. I mean, I didn't go to polish because it was a huge waste of time. You know, the, the progression of least aggressive right. to most aggressive, doing this for 20 years, which right. says, okay, we got to go to compound, and that would be the, the least aggressive. I did that, and what I saw is because the paint was single stage and because it was such a poor paint job it was so much residue that I, the pad couldn't even get through the residue i mean uh, it was like the yeah. ultimate residue yeah. uh example i i had to keep the uh the pad washer i took it out of like the little tray the little cart that comes in because i i don't want to get up and down with my knee right I put it right on the ground yeah and i just blew through i mean the i show a video of it it's bright red so what I ended up doing, and I'm not sure if you agree or disagree, but it worked. Um, instead of sitting there and fighting the residue, I went in and, and wet sanded um, and had to keep, you know, changing wet sand uh, right. you know, paper. Right. I thought it'd be quicker uh, and less, you know, less heat involved, obviously. Sure. Uh, to just wet sand. So I wet sanded with 1,500, 3,000 on the roofs in a backing plate uh, just to kind of like to take off that first layer of gum. Yeah, yeah, you plow, plow through that stuff, get that stuff off, yeah. Yeah, so that, that panel probably took me three quarters uh, of the of the day. You know, it was a long, a long process, and the rest of the car was kind of like close your eyes, put your music on, and, and just yeah. you know, do what you got to do kind of thing. So that was that was my uh, that was my last week, but it was a fun project, and I'm sure, uh, cool. I'm sure you guys will dig the video. I look forward to that. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. So let's move on to our topic. I'm getting a lot of emails and phone calls and tweets about, hey, what's the, what's the process? What's the steps in detailing? So I, I think I'm going to shoot a video from beginning to end. But then I'm thinking about it and I'm saying to myself, that's really hard to answer because there really isn't, nothing is cookie cutter. And I, I'm a big fan of saying, hey, you know, a cookie cutter detail just doesn't really exist. You have to assess the car and blah, 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 blah. But I get, I get what everyone's saying. So I figured I'd go to the master here and, and, you know, have that conversation of what are the steps that you would think about starting from beginning to end with the understanding or the caveat as my favorite word that 
not every car is the same, so you, right. you can't blindly just do step one through 50 or whatever you're going to, you know, whatever steps you're going to tell me. Does that make sense? Well, I don't know anything about detailing, so I can just wing it. <laughs> yeah. You're shooting, shooting from the hip right now, are you? <laughs> You've never done this presentation before in front of thousands of people every day? Oh, well, yeah, this, this uh, it's an inter interesting topic you bring up, and uh, um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that, you know, not all cars are the same, but also... Um, there are different ways to approach a car when you do a, a detail. So from, if our assumption for this topic is that we're talking about a complete detail, right? Yeah, we're talking about, I, I, I hate using this word, cookie cutter, complete yeah, detail complete. from beginning to end. Yeah. And we'll try to keep the weird ones up, single yeah. stage paint or, you know, something you need to wet. You know, I, I'm not going to pin you in a corner because I understand how difficult this is. That's why I called you so that we could poke you with a stick on this question. Well, now we can go through, you know, a suggested method, and that and that that's my caveat here is that it it is a suggestion. So any of your listeners, um, as we talk through the steps, uh, just realize that it is kind of as you mentioned, cookie cutter. It's a suggestion. It may not work for your goals and objectives, but it just you know. It's the way, based on years and years of uh, McGuire's experience and then my own experience, uh, mostly from the professional side of approaching a complete detail on a car, you know, what would be the logical uh, order of operations or the, you know, step one, step two. Uh, yeah. So we can walk through that right now. If you... All right. So let's set the scenario and tell me if this is okay with you. So, again, we have the professional and we have the, the weekend warrior. but. Okay. I'm going to try to run a line right between the two of them if that's even possible. So I wake up, I open my eyes, the whole nine yards, I walk outside either at my house or at the customer's house, and I'm first time I'm seeing the car, first time I'm seeing the customer, what, how, what's the next thing I should be thinking about? Is that, is that as broad as it could get? Well, did you, did you have breakfast? Or? I had breakfast. Okay. I went to the bathroom. Okay. I comb, I ha, if I don't have a spike in my hair, <laughs> the, the day is not going to go well. So I spiked my hair. Okay. Everything is good. So you did all that stuff. Well, yeah. I would suggest that the very first thing, regardless of whether you're a car enthusiast doing a car yourself um, or if you're a professional, uh, I would suggest that the very first step is that you ask yourself the question, uh, why am I detailing this car? Why am I, why am I going to do this complete detail on this particular vehicle? Uh, because the answers to that question can dictate uh, at the minimum, it can dictate the tone of the rest of the detail process, uh, but can also dictate, you know, steps, you know, specific steps you take. Yeah, that's a drastic change yeah. from one end of the spectrum to the other is yeah. several hour, hours and tons and tons of physical labor. So Yeah, well, like for, for the... In the in the situation of let's say a weekend warrior as you call it or a car enthusiast, um, there are many different reasons why someone like that would be doing a complete detail on their car. So I mean, the ones that come to mind are um, it's a lease vehicle, it's the last time I'm going to touch this car before I turn it in, you know. So you can imagine that kind of a detail compared to oh, this is my. Uh, my my baby it's the one that's garaged i only bring it out in fair weather um it's going to a car show tomorrow and i'm doing you know my car show prep today so you can imagine the difference in tone in those two situations right yeah th that would be again a very big uh difference between one or the other that's a great example actually a dealer 
you know, return or trade in. Yeah. Versus the, uh, you know, the beloved car kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if you're a professional detailer, there's lots of different scenarios for detailing a car too. So, um, but the message here on the suggestion is basically just check in with the goals and the objectives and the why are we doing the car. And then with that answer, whatever that is, um, that can kind of set the, you know, the tone and what steps you take next. Uh, so that with that in mind, I would say in broad strokes, the very general, you walk up to the car, what's the first thing you want to do? Uh, and again, we're assuming on a complete detail, that means every everything about the car we're going to detail. So mm -hmm. um, the suggested first step would be to open the hood and, and work on the engine compartment. Now, now, why would you do that? What's the logic behind that step? Well, and, and I'm glad you said that because I think we, when we talk about each of these steps, we should talk about the rationale and why, you know, why is this step in this order? Um, but the, if you're walking up to a car and you're going to do a car, the, you want to think about doing the, the messiest, dirtiest, uh, wettest areas first. So, and in this situation, that would be the engine compartment. It would be it would be, you know, potentially the the dirtiest area and the the area that, if you did it in later steps, it would, it, it could ruin some of these other areas that you've already cleaned. At minimum, it'll cause more work for you. Yeah. To to, to clean up after yourself, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And um, and then another tip for doing the engine compartment, which a lot of pros and and uh, weekend warriors don't do, but. Um, it is a good suggestion. If you're going to really detail out the engine compartment, um, I've just learned from experience that it's it's good to start from the bottom underneath, clean that area underneath first, and then work on the top. And most people don't do that, but it, it seems to work out better for me. Why do you think that is? Because that is counter that is counterintuitive if you think about it. Yeah, usually they open the hood and start you know spraying on the inside, but. Uh, what I've found is with if you do that, if you start and work from the top down in an engine compartment, by the time you get underneath the car and you're you're trying to clean oh. that area, there's water dripping on you, there's cleaners dripping on you, um, unless you have a lift. But um, it's just it it's easier to get under there and start cleaning without all that stuff dripping down on you. That's smart. I like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm writing all this down. <laughs> So that you know that would be the first thing is if you're going to detail that engine compartment, hit that first, uh, and work from the bottom up in the engine compartment. Clean that area really good, um, and even dry it. Uh, you know, blow dry it or towel dry it, however your dry method is, and then and then you shut that hood. And the next area, uh, if you're ready to go to the next step, I am. Yep. So with the engine compartment completely done. Uh, you close the hood. The next suggested area that we think you should work on is is the wheel wells, the wheels and tires. So you kind of take all four corners of the car and you go one at a time and start going through the wheel wells, the tires, and the and the wheels. And some people would think, oh, well, I'd be jumping on the wash at this time. Yes, I get a lot of that, and I am a big believer in doing the wheel. Like a lot of times. The engine doesn't need it, or I did, or I, did, I already did it, or a lot of times I just don't touch it, especially on these older cars because of other reasons. You know, things explode, and you know, older older cars don't like a whole lot of water and touching. Yeah. Um, so I immediately always start with the wheels, and a lot, I get a lot of emails based on the videos 
how come you don't do the paint first? Yeah. And I and I I agree with you. I feel like, you know, if you do the paint first and then hit the wheels, I, it always seems to spray up on the on the paint itself. So it's, I'm going back and having to re-dry it. See what I'm saying? Well, this is where uh, in our suggested steps here where it does make a difference if you're a pro um, because some of these professional detailing operations they have what's called a uh, a two-man or a two-technician approach or even a three-technician approach to detailing. So the more technicians on the car, uh, it changes up some of what we're recommending here. So in theory, you could have somebody jumping on the wheel wells and the wheels and tires, and at the same time, uh, they could be either doing other, you know, other wheels or they could be jumping on the wash at this point. That, that makes sense. Yeah. That's uh, very logical. Yeah. But if you're one guy and you're you're doing this car on your own, then um, wheels, wheel wells, and, and it's consistent with the theme of, you know, hey, do the dirtiest areas first. And, uh, you know, probably wheels and tires, it could be argued that that's the dirtiest part of the car because that's what makes contact with all the dirt on the road and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. So wheels and tires, wheel wells. Yep. You finish those up, yep. it's on deck. And then uh, here's where it gets a little controversial, but uh, mm -hmm. here's where we would suggest you crack open the doors and you clean the door jams. Um, for much the same reason that you jump on the wheels first, because this is a, a dirty area. Um, and you can clean this area without worrying about the rest of the car being wet and water spots and all that stuff that's involved during your wash process. So you just basically open the doors, clean these um, door jams. Uh, and that's, How are you cleaning the door jams? What, what are you using? Like a soap and, and a microfiber or? Yeah, yeah, like a wash mitt. I mean, uh, and this is more of a professional theme, so it may not really fit for the weekend warrior, but uh, if you're like completely reconditioning a used car, uh, then then these door jams are probably pretty dirty and grimy. So you're taking a wash mitt uh, with soap and water that's dedicated to, you know, dirty parts of the car, and you would be cleaning these door jams. And then you can um, low-pressure rinse them. Uh, and this is where it gets a little controversial because people say, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to overspray water in the interior then. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but my argument there is that, hey, you're going to detail the interior anyway. Um, so it follows, it makes sense in the pro environment, but... Yeah, and there's also a way to regulate how much water you're putting down, yeah. too. I mean, yeah. I feel like I do a lot of cars with no roofs on it, and it's not like I'm scooping out water every 10 minutes. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. yeah, so, uh, you know, that part aside, you know, get to clean up the door jams, shut the doors, and then you do your, your vehicle wash. Uh, and it, at this point, you have a decision to make whether it's a traditional type wash or if you're doing a waterless wash approach or something like that uh, but at this point you would do the exterior wash okay yep. wash the car are we drying it after this i mean yeah we're gonna we're glossing over the wash part because that, that's not part of the you know yeah i think everybody here we've we've beat that sort of to uh so, yeah beating a dead horse so what's are we so drying it wash, or not letting you it? wash and dry wash and dry yep and um and then at this point, you would crack open the doors and, you know, dry your door jams. Uh, and then while you have those doors open, then you jump in the interior. So this is your, you know, vacuuming and your cleaning and your uh, conditioning, all the surfaces on the interior. Okay. When does that include shampooing at this point? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. any uh, any kind of carpet and upholstery shampooing you would do, you just basically detail that interior completely uh, at this time. Uh, and then once that's done, you jump in the trunk, you know, in the trunk compartment and detail that area out. Mm-hmm. So this is okay. when, you know, you're, you're, at this point your car is basically dry and you got all the doors open and all the hood, you know, the trunk is open and you're detailing the interior uh, areas of the car. Okay. Let me back you up one second, though. When you're doing the interior, can you go a little bit more into that? For me, when it comes to shampooing or steaming or something, I typically, in a higher volume, when I had, you know, detail shops and we have to blast out, you know, dealership car kind of thing, I would just jump right in with the shampoo because I wanted to have it dry sooner, which is a logical thought, I think. But and sometimes because my machines are just like everybody's machines are very expensive and they're kind of delicate. The shampoo machines are a pain in the butt, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so I would vacuum if it was a heavy amount and this is obviously up for interpretation, but if it was a heavy amount of, you know, uh, dirt or whatever in there, I would, I do a very quick vacuum first, then shampoo. And then I re vacuum when I'm done with a wet pack to try to suck out. Do you have any thoughts on, like very specific interior. Well, uh, yeah, we can nothing. get more specific on interior, and and, and here it basically depends on what equipment you have because you brought up. It's uh, true. You know, steamer. Yeah, so it depends on the the tools you have, but in general, what what we'd recommend here is the very first step is you would re- remove all the loose items and personal belongings of the customer and trash, so you remove all that stuff. Uh, then we would jump in, if you had this equipment, we would jump in with uh, air compressor and compressed air. Yes, that's the best tool I think any detailer has is compressed air. That's yeah. my opinion. Out of all the tools, compressed air is the best. Yeah, and it's a great way to start an interior because you're just loosening up the fibers. You're you know, dislodging some of the crusty stuff that might be in the carpet and the upholstery, and you're blowing the headliner and the, you know, different areas that typically on a car would not get this kind of uh, cleaning. Yeah, underneath the seats, blowing out the stuff so it's right. easier to vacuum. Yeah, around the seat belts, you just kind of blow all that stuff out so that uh, it dislodges it, re- you know, relocates it so that you can come by with your vacuum. Yeah. Love it. Love it. This is this is good. I'm actually highlighting compressed air, even yeah. though I've heard this and written it ten times. That's how <laughs> pathetic I am. I have to rewrite everything. And then the other suggestion here on interiors, uh, and it does make a difference at the point at this point if you have leather seats or, uh, you know, cloth seats. So, mm-hmm. but in general, we would work from the top down. So if the headliner needed cleaning, you would do that uh, first before other areas on the car. So even before I would shampoo carpets uh, or do any of the seats, I would, you know, be working on the headliner. Is it your opinion? Uh, you know what? I'll say this. It, it's my opinion that if the headliner looks good and I've blown it out a little bit and you have to be sensitive, you can't be really close to that air compressor. You put those lines in there. Uh, if it's not dirty, don't touch it. Yeah. Is, it, are you in agreement with well, that? Well, it's one of those areas in the interior that uh, if you're too aggressive, you could actually damage, you know, the. it's a multi-layer, you know, That's kind of right. thing. And, and they're bonded between layers, but you can disrupt that bonding with, you know, cleaners and heat and, uh, you know, Just whatever. Moisture. Yeah. So, you yeah, you're absolutely right. If it's If it appears to be in good shape, then, you know, leave it alone. Uh, I guess that's the best message. Yeah, that's a that is 
That is a good message. All right, continue. So headliner, okay. top down. Well, another another quick caveat to the headliner is if it if it's not in good shape, if it visually looks really bad and it's dirty, um, grimy, or maybe a smoker, you know, nicotine stains. If if it visually looks bad and you you do uh, you are attempting to clean it, the best advice there is to be superficial in your cleaning, not not deep penetrating type cleaning. Yeah, and I try not. I try to tell people not to twist. Uh, I mean, not to uh, to rub back and forth, rather, yeah. or to you know to really pinch the that that fabric and top is so thin, and then you, you know if you saturate it too much, it actually pulls down that, right. that glue. Right. So yeah, it, that that's a tricky clean. I I like I like steam, a nice shot of steam where you're not moving back and forth, so there's no friction created. It's more of like a and then move. Yeah. That seems to be effective uh, for me, particularly mo- removing smoke uh, along the uh, the B pillar or right around the uh, the driver's yep. uh, left shoulder. Right up in there, I find steam to be pretty effective at. Uh, well, and yeah, the- and if your if your listener has a steam machine, then that uh, that's the best recommendation because steam is a natural emulsifier and it will do the work of you know many different chemicals. It it really does a great job of cleaning on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely shoot me an email if you uh, need recommendations on steamers. That's for sure. Yeah, a good good guy for that. So yeah, I would do the headliner if it needs it, and then um, uh, I'm with you on the carpet. I think if you're if the intention is to really shampoo the carpets, I would get in there uh, and do that for the sake of dry time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's where you have a decision tree because if you have if you have leather or vinyl seats. Um, then I, I would tend to recommend you do those last and you kind of do other areas on the car before that and kind of do those last. Um, but, you know, and this is where it gets very controversial because if you do cloth seats at this point, they're now wet and drying while you're trying to do other parts of the car. Yeah, like sit on the chair, you know, yeah. sit on the driver's side and get into the center console or something. Now you have a wet butt kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but if you have your steamer and you know that's working for you, that's really fast dry time. So, like it, it really depends on the equipment you have. Um, but I tend to, you know, recommend doing the seats towards the end of the interior process so that you can physically sit and work on other areas and not have to worry about you know something's wet. I think that's yeah. I think that's great. I think people are going like, hmm, you know what? I, I agree with that. That I'm going to try that approach next time. Yeah. So I'm. I'm glad I pushed you to, uh, to give more on the interior because that there's a whole lot of stuff on the interior that um, yeah. it's important. Every time you 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 know you get your rhythm down and and you, you listen to Jason's advice and et cetera et cetera, you shave off little bits of time here, and that shaving off time makes you more profitable if you're a pro or more enjoyable if you're you know a weekend guy right. because you get to go drive or play yeah. with your kids or whatever the case right. is. So. Right. Um, so, anyways, uh, number seven was trunk. Yep. So, yeah. So I we get in, you. we get in the trunk, and the 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 advice we have on trunks, um, you know, because it's it's fairly easy, simple, you know, process for doing a trunk. You just there's not much there, um, but the the advice we generally have in this area is you got to be uh, careful about some things like the. Um, uh, where the spare tire is and the jack, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a if it's a complete reconditioning where where the car is gonna be 
presented for sale to somebody, then you may want to take those items out and clean them and put them back in. Yeah. Do you ever notice in many, many trunks, let's just take the worst example, Volkswagen trunk. You ever notice that like nappy hair that's back there? Yeah. What is, what is, is that just because it's a cheaper fiber or something like that or why, why do they do that that's enough to make you insane you can't vacuum it you can't shampoo it i i, I try to rip it out and throw it across the street or yeah, something it's, it's horrible every, i can't do anything everything with it. sticks to it and if you get yeah. a stain it doesn't clean very well yeah I'm, I'm with you on that i i don't honestly know why the car manufacturers pick that material but my guess is that it's economical yeah that's that's been the bane of my existence. Anyway, sorry, I, I went off. A, yeah. I, I, I'm visually cleaning the car as you're saying this, yeah. and I, I can see myself pulling up that hard plastic, you know, thing where the where the tires underneath it, that yeah. you know, the thing with the little hand, and then taking it out and banging it so that all the the sand will come out because you can't you can't vacuum it. Yeah, right. It's enough enough to make you crazy. Anyways, all right. So trunk, what's next? So, eight, number eight. Yeah. So after you've um, detailed the trunk area and the interior is finished, you know we've we've thus far what we just a review. We've done the engine compartment, uh, the wheel wells, tires, uh, and wheels, and then we've washed the vehicle. We've jumped on the inside, done the interior. We've jumped in the trunk and we've done the trunk. So now it's time uh, close all the doors and uh, begin to look at the paint. Okay. So the first step there is to do a paint evaluation. And um, this is where you really get the touchy-feely and look uh, with your eyes or with instruments. If you have, you know, microscopes or, you know, uh, swirl finder lights or any of these devices that people have to really look at the condition of the paint. Uh, so you want to look at how it feels, you want to look at whatever defects you have. Um, you basically just want to walk around the car and check out what you have in terms of, of condition of paint. Okay. Now let's, this is where we get in trouble again. Let's play scenario. So you want to go to, you want to go all the way to wet sanding or do you want to just go shy of wet sanding, which is like the bulk of details? No, nobody should be really wet sanding. Well, we can, like, I think the common uh, occurrence here is we can, let's assume that the paint condition uh, can be described like this. Let's, it feels rough, you know, to the, to the touch. It feels a mm -hmm. little rough. And we've got uh, visual uh, car wash and towel mark uh, type scratches. You know, let, let's assume that that's what we have. We call them love marks in, yeah. in the ammo world. <laughs> I coined that word. Yes. So lots of love marks. Um, and the objective is that we want to get those, you know, get the paint defect free and we want a smooth, glossy finish. So let, let's go with that assumption, shall we? Yes. And the paint is dry at this point. Is that, is yeah. that a fair statement? Yeah, it's dry okay. and you're feeling it with your hands and it feels a little rough. So. If that's the evaluation, the the recommendation is that you first address the above surface defects. So all the all the paint defects that anyone can look at on a car, you can divide them into two buckets. There's above surface paint defects, and then there's below surface paint defects. So the first process when you're reconditioning paint is to address the above surface defects. So this is the you know, the bonded contaminants, the stuff that floats on the car and and sticks to it. Um, it's the rail dust, the industrial fallout. It's all that stuff that can fall on a car and stay there. And a lot of people ask me, yeah, you know, like bird poo. 
and I go, hmm, that's a tough one. That's kind of that's a wouldn't you call that above surface and below surface? Well, there's if you give it enough time. There's I think uh, two very common defects on paint. Uh, I would describe them as both above and below, or they they have the potential potential to be both above and below. And sure. bird droppings and water spots are two examples yep. of that they they start their life as an above surface defect but given dwell time and the Heats. elements yeah yep. uh, they can then become a below surface defect well said well said so we would address these above ones and we would uh, you know do that uh, most common approach is you know using a clay process um, or an alternative to clay but some kind of a process that will remove the bonded contaminants off the top of the paint, get it smooth, uh, and then we can secondarily go after the below surface defects. Now let me ask you this question here in terms of clay. Uh, it's kind of my it's kind of my pet peeve, but I'm, I'm dying to hear what you have to say about it. And here here's the loaded question. Is clay a is clay an abrasive? Yeah. Excellent. All right, we're on the same page. I, 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 we didn't, for the record, we didn't talk about that before the podcast, so I'm glad we're on the same page. Because yeah. a lot of people say, hey, clay is not an abrasive. And I go, hmm, well, I think you might be confused between compounds, abrasives, and, you know, uh, uh, silica or whatever you yeah. want to call it, that kind of abrasive. But I, I, you know, in my, you know, you do tons of way more seminars than I do, but the little seminars that I do, I say, if you take a finger and wipe it across your paint, that is an abrasive. Yeah. Your finger is an abrasive. Yeah. So anything, in my opinion, that touches the paint is an abrasive. So clay, in some respects, uh, is an abrasive in my mind. But the positive side, you know, the positive attribute of clay far, uh, you know, yeah. outweighs, you know, the quote-unquote abrasive aspect. Is that is that your oh, favorite? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, w I would totally describe it as an abrasive. And uh, it's a very specific type, um, but, mm -hmm. but it is definitely in the category of abrasives. I would totally agree with that. Okay, cool. I'm glad we're on the same page yeah. with that. So bear that in mind if for some reason, I'm going off tangent here, but if for some reason you're on an old car, uh, let's say a Ferrari or something, and it's super soft and it happens to be black, you really want to be sure that you have enough lubrication when you're doing that clay because when push comes to shove, like we just said, it is an abrasive. And I think all of us as detailers, and I'm, I'm including you, Jason, even though you're perfect and I know it, uh, <laughs> you've probably scratched a car or, you know, put some lines in it during the clay process. Well, I'm only half perfect now because I only have the use of one arm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. You now have an excuse forever. It's my arm. Well, but, the, you know, evidence to support the idea that it's an abrasive is that you could very easily be too aggressive and put a defect in your paint. So That's that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and, there, and another example is why would there be several different grades of clay yeah. if one wasn't more abrasive than the other? There'd just be clay. Right. right. It wouldn't be, you know, heavy, medium, light kind of thing. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. So, Continue. So, yeah, we would address those above-surface uh, bonded contaminants. So now your paint's smooth, and now, you know, we deal with these below-surface defects. So this is the point where you take your defect removal step, uh, and what that is uh, completely depends on doing one thing, and that is you need to do a test spot. So you come up with kind of like your go-to 
uh, combination of you know liquid pad and tool that you're comfortable with and that you think might work on this car and you basically do a test spot and we're talking about a small area that you know might be six inches or a foot in diameter and you just basically apply that combination uh, and see what the response on the defects are and that will tell you whether that works or not now I'll add to this where where do you think is the best spot because I have my opinion on the best spot for a test spot uh, where do you think that's the best? Do you think the driver's door or the middle of the hood, well, I, for example? <laughs> I typically don't go to any you know particular pre you know prescribed area on the car. What I would do is look for the area on the car that has the most defects. Okay, and that's I, a that's a fair that's a fair answer. I do my best to try to focus as much energy on the test spot on the on the rear the passenger side rear if if it's all uniform which it never really is but i tried in my best to put it back there god forbid anything were to go wrong for some reason it just feels better that it's on that side as opposed to directly in front of the driver's face kind of thing yeah um and then bear in mind too when you're when you're doing a test spot uh is it on metal or is it on a plastic bumper oh yeah yeah good point now you you basically want to do your test spot on whatever surface represents the most surface area on the car. So if it's a, you know, if your car has mostly metal substrates, which most cars do, mm -hmm. uh, then you would do your test spot on the metal, not, not so much on a bumper cover. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so number 10 is below surface test spots. Got yep. It. Uh, and then you kind of dial in what works best on uh, on those defects, and then you do that process on the whole car. Uh, do you want to go on all the steps on the paint, or do you want to assume that we've kind of dialed in the paint? Uh, in terms of what, like, you know, compound, yeah. polished, and... Yeah. I do a, you know, a, like you did on the interior before I stopped you, do a, do a brief... Yeah, you know, so uh, in general, I mean, thinking really 10,000-foot view here, really in general, a paint process, paint... A paint correction process would involve some kind of defect removal step. So usually that's a compound and some kind of a cutting pad, like you know microfiber or a foam cutting pad. I'll cut you off right there. The micro, if you're going to be compounding, in my whatever opinion, <laughs> it's the it's the Meguiar's microfiber cutting pad all day and twice on Sunday. I don't. It's very very rare that I would be using a wool pad unless it's they're very rare instances where I believe that they're better. Yeah. But 99.999999% of the time, McGuire's microfiber cutting pad. End of story. Oh well. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks for that plug. Um, well, it's not a plug. It's the truth. <laughs> so. so yeah. So whatever your you're confident uh, in whatever liquid pad combination, then you you pick the tool. If you have a choice of tools, you pick whatever tool. Uh, would be the least aggressive on this particular paint mm -hmm. and then you do that entire step so at this point you removed uh, the the desired defects on the paint and the second step usually if you're being thorough about it and you really want a quality paint correction uh, the, the next step would be polishing so you would take a dedicated polish and change pads to a polishing pad and maybe even change tools uh, or you may keep the same tool uh, but you would do another step on this paint, which is restoring more clarity and creating more gloss. Uh, so that would be the polish step. So polishing, you know, for yep. the for the weekend warrior is polish is to remove the compound marks that you've put in yeah. 
to take out the bigger swirls. So you got these big swirls, and you use the compounds to get those out. Now there's little light swirls from the actual compound or yeah. you know what you know abrasive product. Then you need to take out those little swirls with polish. And I'm being very again ten thousand foot yeah. uh, view there because I think uh, just based on the emails that I get, there are there is confusion with abrasives. And hey, let's go polish the car. And polish could could mean in their mind, uh, you know, that I flush out on the phone or whatever. Polish could mean uh, buffing or even you waxing. Know, a, a compound <laughs> waxing exactly. Yeah, let's go polish the yeah. car out. So I think, yeah, you know, especially if you're a pro, you have to be very specific and uh, exact as to the words, yeah. uh, you know, that you use. So anyways, well, that's that, well that's, well said. So that polish step, you're you're uh, kind of cleaning up uh, whatever remaining defects might have occurred in your first step, and you're just creating this, you know, paint gloss and this clarity kicking it to the next level making it look you know really loud and proud mm-hmm. deep I, I, it, it polish really like on on a really new car let's say uh you know you're going to a show or whatever and, and it doesn't need to be compound doesn't need to be uh wet sanded and it's my opinion that we as detailers get paid to do the least amount of work on the car and people go like what what does that mean oh what is that if you think about it, it, it as the owner of the car you don't want the guy to take as much skin off the car or as much cartilage out of the knee yeah you want to do it just the bare minimum to have it look perfect exactly. in some cases yeah. i think polish is all you really need just to bring that deep rich depth out before you put over your 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 protection you know wax uh sealant coatings, no, whatever. you know you know i'm so glad you said that because um there is you know a bit of morality in, in this kind of polishing step so you know there are concepts like you know using the least aggressive method first and um, you know try and leave the most amount of pain on the car as possible but all in all if whether you're a weekend warrior or a professional it is definitely a good idea no matter what car you're on and what the situation is it's always a good idea to try as best you can to support what I call paint preservation. So Mm -hmm. you basically want to leave as much paint on the car possible. And uh, a lot of your, some of your listeners may not know that when you take a compound and you're removing defects, so you're, you're removing those love marks, as you say, um, you are removing paint. So you're, you're removing like a microscopic thin layer around that defect. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you do that over time, uh, the more other people do it on the same car over over time, the integrity of that clear code begins to be sacrificed. Yeah, I, I, I describe it as like a jacket with multiple layers, and you're outside in the cold, you know, as a human being. Over time, you're removing those jackets, you're wearing those jackets out, and eventually you're going to be left without a jacket and completely, quote, naked. Yeah. And that's what the car is. And the irony is, you know, I have my beloved Porsche. I love it. I built it, blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you right now, and I'm telling the public, and I, I show people when, when they see it, I, this is an older car that has been, I, you know, I'm the third or fourth owner or whatever. As a professional detailer, and I do this 24 hours a day, I can't polish my car anymore. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I just, and there's actual spots where I saw the, the old, you know, the guy who owned it who wasn't a pro detailer, et cetera, where he just broke through the clear coat so yeah. i go like you know <laughs> what, what, what am i supposed to do go oh man you go polish that out and i said 
You could give it to Jason Rose and Kevin Brown, the two greatest detailers, <laughs> and Derek Bemis. They're not going to do anything better because there's nothing, there's nothing there, to, there do. to do. Right. So at, uh, it's very at, important what, uh, yeah, to, it's to very think important. that through. And, uh, and, and just to take it one step further, um, not to beat this dead horse, but mm-hmm. uh, both, both do-it-yourself weekend warrior people and uh, professional people, uh, they have options available to them on paint correction. So, you know, you can go to a store and look at the, you know, the aisle of confusion for car care products and see <laughs> see all kinds of options for removing scratches, right? So it's available to everybody to, to take a, a compound and an aggressive approach and just mow down defects. You can get defects off paint really fast if you want. There are ways available to you to do that. But the question here is, is it really the right uh, combination to do on this car? Just because you can mow it down fast doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, it's like using a bazooka when you could use, you know, a, pe- a, a BB. Or a sni- yeah. You know, or a sniper rifle You take or a can- yeah. cannon and blow your enemy away, or you can take a sniper and Hit them between the eyeballs, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, that's that's that is a great yeah. analogy. All right, so compound polish. Now the paint looks f- fantastic. We've gone through all the steps. Well, and the, now the next thing after you've you know s- spent this time removing defects and creating gloss and clarity, and the paint looks beautiful. Well, we hope to keep it that way. So, the next step would be a protection step. Yeah, you put more jackets on yeah. that you. Yeah, there you yeah, go. It, yeah, going back yeah. to your jacket scenario. So yeah. now what, what you put on, uh, it really depends on what we did very, you know, at the beginning of this podcast. What are the goals and objectives? What are the expectations on this car? So what kind mm-hmm. of what kind of protection you put on depends on what your goals and objectives are. So, for example, uh, the lease return scenario. Well, you don't want to put your high-end premium, you know, paint coating on right now, right? <laughs> you, <laughs> uh, I, I certainly wouldn't if it was a trade-in, no. Yeah, so you just want it looking good for the the initial inspection by the dealer, and they want to, you know, bless the car and say, yeah, it looks great. So you want to put some kind of a, a wax that would, you know, add protection, but just at a short-term level. Um, but if it's your baby and it's your daily driver, there'd be another choice right or if it's your show car there'd be another choice so uh but at this point after you've cleaned up the paint you really want to uh make an effort to put some protection put a sacrificial barrier on there so that nice the, uh, nice word yeah sacrificial barrier. sacrificial barrier so the elements that are you know that the car is exposed to now are not attacking and eating away at your paint anymore they're they're working on whatever protection you put on there yeah and i think the main one of the big points i like to make is you don't want i i equate like super high-end detailers you kevin derek etc as surgeons right you don't want to go see a surgeon you, you don't want to run yourself into a wall and have to go see an emergency room surgeon you you want to eat correctly you want to exercise you want to avoid any damage etc etc and live a long, healthy life. That 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 would be the goal. And the same sort of idea for a car. You don't want to see 
a detailer 24 hours a day. I know a lot of people are going like, what are you saying, Larry? But yeah. you get my point yeah. where it's you don't want to keep buffing and, and doing all these sort of uh, uh, aggressive actions to the paint. Instead, maintain it and protect it uh, properly. Yeah. So a lot of times people say, hey, you must you must polish a car all the time. And I said, well, I polish you know a lot of details, polish a lot of cars because there's a lot of volume. Like I see new cars all the time. But if it's a car that's in my stable, we call it. So I have clients with lots and lots of cars. If it's in the stable and I've already restored it and detailed it, et cetera, whatever you want to call it, X amount of months ago, years ago, the chances of me having to re-compound polish or wet sand the car again are virtually nil. My entire job in that case is to maintain, maintain, maintain that car. So I think, uh, you know, especially for the weekend warriors, um, I think uh, I think the focus should really be once you put in that crazy amount of time and, and get the paint looking perfect, that most of your energy should be in how do I maintain and how do I remove the contaminants, the dirt, the yeah. sap, the whatever, right. safely so I don't have to go back and do surgery. Yeah. Sorry, that was a long-winded way of saying that, but that's I'm really passionate about that particular aspect of it. Maintenance is huge. Yeah. So, you know, once your protection uh, product is applied and, you know, you're happy with those results, um, the suggested net next step would be to go around the exterior of the vehicle and, and apply your uh, whatever uh, exterior trim uh, or plastic uh, rubber uh, dressing, you know, so that would, that would happen after the uh, wax application. Okay. Number 13 is trim dressing. I'll do a very quick recap uh, when we're done yeah. so that people's people following along can write it down real quick. And then once uh, once 14, that's yeah. done, um, you know, you uh, get on the windows and clean your, your glass and chrome. Yeah. Yep. And to, just to back up, the, the, tri the trim dressing, that includes the wheels, the tires, right? Yeah. Rubber? Yes. Okay. And then as... Um, one of the final steps, uh, as far as actually the work on the car, uh, would be to polish metal surfaces. So, if you know if you've got wheels that you want polished, if you have chrome bumper that you want polished, if you have metal trim around glass or these, you know these areas would kind of be this last step where you would do that polishing. Okay. And then the very last uh, step is an inspection uh, and I would suggest this to anyone even the weekend warrior uh, but you really want to walk the car uh, pull the car out in different light um, really look it over look at all surfaces kind of see if there's any areas that you might have missed anything that you want to touch up but this is basically a final inspection you just kind of go over the car yeah, nine times out of ten, what I think most people will find, and it's normal, is, you know, you missed a little spot of wax here or there, that kind of thing. Yeah. There's nothing. It's so funny. I, I say, you know, detailers are judged by the largest mistake that they make or, or the smallest mistake. Oh, they yeah. Make. What I yeah. Um, that's what I meant to say. The smallest mistake they make, which is crazy because you think about it, you've done all this work. You spent, you know, in this fictitious example, eight hours, you know, polishing, compound, blah, 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 blah. My car looks great, and the guy goes to pick up the car. He's paid you, and then he sees a little strip of wax, you know, as he's walking to the car. Yeah. You know, oh, that, that's, uh, that's yeah. tough to swallow. Yeah, the wax residue, or another one is um, a streak on the glass, or the or a, a streak on the side mirror. 
So yes. uh, it becomes a complaint. And, uh, you know, it, it is a little frustrating sometimes, you know, because detailers think, oh, I just spent hours on this car and the dude's picking out the streak on the side yeah, here. Yeah, the, the forest <laughs> for the trees sometimes. Forest for the trees, you know what I mean? Yeah, so... And one thing I do want to say before you review here is that um, th this isn't Jason Rose steps. Um, the steps that we just went over, you know, actually are a result of lots of conversations with professional detailers. And uh, there's a team of trainers and technicians that have contributed to, you know, hey, what makes the most sense on a standard order of operations for doing a complete detail? So I just wanted to make that point that it's not... It's not Jason Rose thinking up these steps. It's actually a much bigger picture than that. No, that totally makes sense. And I, like you said in the beginning, there is there is wiggle room here or there based on multiple factors. And I think I think everyone listening goes like, okay, cool. I I get that this is a ten thousand foot view, and if I have to stray from one or the other and move this direction or the other based on the condition of the car or other factors, that makes sense. But in in my mind, this this is the most efficient. Uh, way of of detailing a car as broad as I can make that statement yeah. sound. Yep. So very cool. Let me do a quick recap, if you don't mind, and then we'll hop out of here because I know it's it's late on Sunday and it's eight thousand degrees wherever you are. <laughs> All right. So just a quick recap in case you're writing this down, and of course, if you have any questions, just shoot me an email and I'll I'll try to uh, send this out to you if you need anything. But Get a pen out, and we'll write this down. Number one, expectation. Why are you doing this? What's the purpose? Is it a show car, or are you trading it in for a lease? You know, lots of examples there. The, sec the second thing you want to do, number two, is open the hood, clean, start from the bottom first. This is very uh, smart because if you start at the top and then work your way to the bottom and get underneath the car, you're going to have a face full of awful, horrible chemicals in your eyes. So that's, that was a good uh, – that was new to me, uh, to be honest with you. Well, and there's Number also, oh, sorry to interrupt, but, the, you know, no. if you started on the top, the ground would be wet and you might even have grease and, and you know, degreaser on the ground. Yeah, you'd yeah. be laying in some nasty stuff. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, yeah. that's just a logical, smart thing yeah. that even I was like, oh, wow, geez, that's a brilliant. All right, number three, wheel wells, wheels, and tires. Uh, I'm steadfast on that as well. I think that's crucial. Door jams next. Make sure you. Just FYI, you're not using the same wash mat that you're using on the door jams that you are on the paint. Yeah. You would agree with that, right? Yeah. Okay, number five, vehicle wash and dry, and then you want to uh, dry the door jams as well. Number six, interior, and this is a very broad topic, but uh, again, depending on what you're doing and depending on the machine, steamer versus shampoo machine versus, you know, bucket with hot, hot bucket with, you know, scrub brush or whatever, uh, may vary from here to there, but basically, you're gonna vacuum up the loose items. You take all the loose items out, vacuum. You know, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna shampoo, I'd probably do that first. But one thing, if you remember anything about the interior, compressed air is your friend. Yep. And I'll leave it at that. Yep. Uh, number seven, trunk, kind of a pain in the butt with that nappy, crazy hair. But do the trunk. Uh, try to pull those pieces out. I I think pulling them out is saves is half the battle. Anyways. Uh, the trunk is like my nemesis. <laughs> Number eight is uh, close all the doors and inspect the paint. Evaluate the paint. Touch, feel, smell, lick. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> lick, but, uh, <laughs> you can you can hear. I always wonder if you could use all your senses, but the licking part maybe not. But you can hear if it's got if it's rough. You may need to do some claying. And we we spoke um, at length about clay. It is an abrasive, so uh, 
Make sure you use lubrication. Well, you can, you can be the paint whisperer and put your ear to the paint just like you would a seashell, you know. Just That's right. Listen to what the <laughs> paint's right. telling you. <laughs> That's right, the paint whisperer. That is a good one. Um, number nine, the uh, above-surface defects, uh, things like contamination, uh, you know, tree sap, tar, uh, rail dust, et cetera, et cetera, things that you can feel that embed themselves on top of the paint. Um, and then you have below-surface uh uh, marks something like uh, bird droppings you know after they've progressed for a little while water spots after they've progressed a little while uh, what else is a below surface I'm, I'm having a brain fart here. Um, etched water spots yes yeah. water spots uh, yeah so things like that so do a test spot um, and use your you know your go-to products whatever it is step one step two give it a shot see how it's doing there's nothing worse and I'm sure Jason could back me up on this when you're first starting out detailing there's nothing worse than Doing the entire car, meaning you're not doing a test spot. Oh, yeah, well, number, I put my blindfold on and cookie cutter. Number step, step yeah. one is to use X product and X pad. And then by the time you're done, when you do all the way to 16, which we're almost about to do at the end, and you do your walk around and, and you put your light on it and you go, oh, crap. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. look good and you have to start all over again. There's nothing yeah. worse than that. You do, you do that once in your life as a detail. Yeah. Um, okay, so step number 11, if you're following along. Uh, compound polish and again we're assuming we're not wet sanding or anything crazy or fancy because um, the goal here uh, perfect it's just a beautiful saying is paint preservation um, that Jason said that is that is leave as much paint as you possibly can mm -hmm. uh, in broad terms number 12 protection you're creating a jacket or a sacrificial barrier another great word uh, to protect all the work that you just did you just you're not putting insurance on the car you're not putting a jacket on the car whatever analogy you need to to have in your mind protect that paint number 13 trim dressing tires dre tire dressing uh makes you look you know sexy and slick or mm -hmm. whatever i'm are you a big fan of super greasy wheels because I, I i'm not but i like them looking well you relatively know, shiny but not super I'm, shiny. i'll tell you since you're asking i'm i'm a fan of having the ability to adjust the shine on tires so i mm -hmm. i like an adjustable shine so for example, I'm a Jeep enthusiast, and I got big, you know, huge tires on my Jeeps. I yeah. don't like them greasy, slimy, uh, shiny. So I like them black, and I like a uh -huh. matte finish on those. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, a shiny tire on my RV looks good. Um, other SUVs, depending on what tires they have, they might look good with like a semi-gloss or a, a matte finish. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, to answer your question, I really... Uh, I, I tend to prefer semi-gloss or matte finish on tires, but there are some cars that, you know, kind of look cool with a little more shine on the tire. No, there's, there's no doubt about yeah. that. No doubt about that. For me, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm a semi-gloss kind of guy. I don't like it stock, and I, I just don't like it dripping wet. But yeah. to each his own, and so put the you know, tire dressing of your choice in there. Number 14, uh, windows and chrome. And I'm going to say something that just popped into my head. I'm very uh, strategic about wearing gloves when I'm doing the oh, yeah, yeah. trim and tire dressing. Why? Because the next step is windows, so I pull off my gloves. Yeah. Uh, because nine times out of ten, if you're putting on tire dressing, you're going to get it all over your hands. Right. So just be heads up on that, and you're gonna, otherwise you'd be chasing the streak, and you'll want to uh, to uh, push the car off a cliff or something because you can <laughs> never get to get those windows clean. Windows and chrome. Second to last one, 15, polish the metal surfaces. Of course, the wheels, the bumpers, the trim around the uh, glass or what have you. And the final one, which I'm, 
I think I want to say that's the most important. I think either number one, expectation, why are you doing this, is the most important, or 16, the last one, yeah. is inspection. Yeah. Because I do believe that good detailers are the ones, I mean, like great detailers, I should say, are the ones that deal in the 10%. Yeah. Meaning 90% of the guys, 90% of the work looks good, looks great. But it's that last 10% where you're really getting... That that's where you know uh, push comes to shove. There, you know, that's meat and potatoes of the of the job. And inspection can really help you along if you stub your toe, which is fine. And I say this in every video, every person I see, you are going to make mistakes, and that's okay because you're not perfect. I say when I had my old shop, I used to say to people when they lived, I said, my mother thinks I'm perfect. Unfortunately, I'm not. So if uh-huh. I make a mistake, which I will, come back and I will repair yeah. it. No problem. I'll fix it. I'll do right. I'll do good or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I avoided a lot of that by doing inspection. So I guess I'm going to call inspection my my number one uh, thing to keep in mind. And uh, what I would add to that is that, that that final inspection could be, you know, as fast as walking around the car and touching up a little bit of wax residue and wiping a, a smear on the glass. It could, be, it could be very fast, but you also pointed to a scenario where, a high-end detailer like, you know, a Kevin Brown type standard um, or, you know, even a Larry Kosilla type standard. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Nice try there. <laughs> um, but, you know, there have been times where you're on a car and the final inspection is very time-consuming. It could take an hour. Yeah, I've, I've, done, I've done a few of those. And I sometimes I get to a spot, let's say, on a lower part of the panel where um, – and we all know this, but when I get towards the end, I'm because I'm tall and lanky, my back starts to blow out. So when I do my inspection, I look at the lower panels very specifically mm-hmm. because I know my weakness. Um, if I don't have a car lift, if you know, if I'm at a location or whatever, yeah. uh, I I may not do a, a, a perfect correction very low. So I'll go back and double check, and then I'll come back in and refocus my energy yeah. and, and and go after that little spot, right. spot buff. Yeah. So. I don't know. That's yeah. that's sort of my uh, soft underbelly there. I got I gotta I gotta get lower, but not not gonna happen anytime soon <laughs> with these knees. <laughs> but I do agree with your point though that that that's the first and last steps we talked about here are, are uh, have have a weighted value to them that I think are higher priority and higher you know more importance than other steps. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're approaching uh, about a a little less than an hour, or maybe right on top of an hour, which is perfect timing. So I'm going to do some plugs. Uh, I always want to uh, give a big shout-out to thesmokingtire.com. Matt Farrer, longtime friend, went to high school, et cetera. Um, They they help us out a lot, so they're good people. Hooniverse, uh, if you guys don't know them, check them out. They're also on shoutengine.com, which is where this podcast exists and lives. Uh, Chris is a good man, and uh, if you're interested in doing a podcast, give him a call, and he'll take care of you pretty good. Drive channel, youtube.com slash drive. Uh, that's where uh, all of the videos exist. And hopefully uh, we're doing some, I don't know, I can't say too much, but hopefully we're doing some some new stuff with Drive Clean. Uh, I have high hopes in the future. So that's cool. Of course, visit my website at amonyc.com, Facebook slash amonyc.com. Our friends at Jalopnik, Aston Martin TRG Racing, Lime Rock, Piston Heads in the UK, and my guys who built uh my car speedsporttuning.net awesome awesome people last but not least mcguire's <laughs> the man well thank you michael stoops and jason rose mm. my uh my two you know contacts and compadres at uh, mcguire's you guys are super generous with your time 
uh, and educating people. This is this is fun stuff, and I'm finding a lot of people. You know, when you go to a show, or whatever, you're like, hey man, I like watching your videos, or whatever. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, thank you. That means a lot to me, by the way. So thank you for coming up and saying that. Uh, it does make me feel good. But I'm, my point of what I'm saying is, the podcasts are taking off. People are like, man, I, that last podcast with you know X Y Z, and you talked about A B C. That was really cool. And I'm like, whoa, I. You know, podcasts are fun, and I just didn't think they were taking off as as well as they are. And and so I'm basically saying thank you, Jason, because a lot of my bigger ones uh, are with you on uh, on there. So lots of good knowledge. So uh, thank you for that. You're very welcome. All right, it's nine o'clock, nine fifteen here on the East Coast. I think it's time for bed. Sunday night. Okay. What do you think? That sounds good to me. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Of course, you can shoot me an email at Larry at AmmoNYC.com if you have any further questions. Find me on Instagram and Twitter, both at AmmoNYC.com. And until next time, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Bye.